Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. It's, um, it's such a, um, a pleasure to be at another Messianic Jewish congregation on Shabbat morning. And my daughter, Elisa, came uh, here a few months ago. Uh, maybe, maybe it was even like six months ago, I, sometime this past year. And uh, she came back with these raving comments, you know, you, you have to go to Beth Messiah because they have such a wonderful congregation and service. And Daddy, you can learn so much from going there. <laughs> and it's true. I, I, from, ever since I arrived, I've been, I've been taking notes and kind of I'm planning to bring them back so we can grow as a community learning from all of you. Well, let's... Um, let's uh, pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Avinu Shemayim, our Father in heaven, we just uh, thank you for Shabbat. We thank you for this day when we can uh, open up your Torah, your word, and uh, where you can feed us, O oh God, from your uh, devar, from your word of life, from your word of truth. And I pray that as we uh, look into your word, that you would Inspire us to walk more closely with you, Lord. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Well, several months ago, I received a phone call from Israel. The person was very excited and told me that a friend of hers wanted to share a story with me. When I asked why, she said, You'll see. The Lord used you in this person's life. Well, after some phone tag, we finally connected, and the person told me the following story. For many years, this uh, Jewish woman had been cut off from her parents because she had become a follower of Yeshua. When her mother became ill and was close to death, her father called and left her a message in called her in Israel, left her a message saying, your mother is in the hospital and won't live through the night. There is no need to come. The daughter immediately left for the hospital. She took a flight to the United States immediately and took with her a copy of a Messianic Jewish daily devotional that about 15 years ago I had published as the editor, called The Voice of the Lord. The mother died in the hospital, and the daughter comforted her father. How did she comfort him? One of the ways was that she read to him every day a portion from this Messianic Jewish daily devotional. She told me that her father loved these devotions, and that within several weeks, he came to believe in Yeshua through listening to them. Now, just to be clear, I didn't write all the devotions. They were written from Messianic Jewish leaders all over the world, and um, including, I think, Rachel, uh, your, Michael, your husband, wrote some of the devotions. Yeah, so um, this wasn't just uh, my own uh, writings. The daughter was so happy to meet me because she felt that the devotional gave her the words that she needed to share the Lord with her father. And as a result, her father came to know Yeshua. 
I was deeply touched by this woman's story, and especially by how she had dared to share about Yeshua with her father, who had rejected her for all these years because of her faith in Yeshua. The title of my message this morning is Dare to Share. And I would like to suggest to you that outreach, kiruv, is all about sharing. I have six points. The first is sharing is caring. The second is the good news without good deeds is not good. The third is if a donkey can speak, so can you. The fourth is the goal of outreach, kiruv, is to help people meet the living God. The fifth is look for divine appointments. And my final point is look at the fields. Let's begin with number one. Sharing is caring. My daughter Miriam, my youngest daughter, I have three daughters, my daughter Miriam often says to me, Daddy, sharing is caring. Usually she says this when I'm eating an ice cream cone or <laughs> snacking on something that she really likes. I don't think I've ever heard her say it when I was eating vegetables. But it is true. Sharing is caring. A couple of years ago, my wife, Harumi, didn't have a lot of winter clothes because we moved from Los Angeles to Richmond, Virginia. Someone in our congregation noticed that Harumi didn't have a warm enough jacket. Uh, my wife, she just, she's just one of these people where it's, it's okay, it's okay, I'm fine, I don't need, I don't need anything. So she gave Harumi one of her own jackets. This woman gave her own jacket to Harumi um, so that she would be warm through the winter season. It was a very loving and caring thing to do. Her sharing was an expression of caring. Do we share with others what the Lord has given to us? If so, what have you shared lately? What have I shared lately? I would encourage us all to consider that what we have to share goes far beyond our material possessions. In the book of Acts, we are told about how Kepha, Peter, shared his spiritual blessings with a man who was in need. We are told in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we're told one afternoon at, at three o'clock, the hour of Mincha prayers, as Kepha and Yochanan were going up to the temple, a man crippled since birth was being carried in. Every day, people used to put him at the beautiful gate of the temple so that he could beg from those going into the temple court. When he saw Kepha and Yochanan about to enter, he asked them for some money, but they stared straight at him, and Kepha said, look at us. The crippled man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Kepha said, I don't have silver, and I don't have gold, but what I do have, I give 
to you. In the name of the Messiah, in the name of the Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth, walk. And taking hold of him by his right hand, Kepha pulled him up. Instantly, his feet and ankles became strong. Here, Peter models the ethic. Sharing is caring. He says, I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Let's all say this together. Please repeat after me. I don't have silver, and I don't have gold, but what I do have, I give to you. We need to get these words into our kishkas. Peter knew that he had something to give. Do you have something to give others? Each of us has been given a treasure trove of spiritual blessings in Messiah. King David writes in Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5, King David says, Praise Hashem, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things. Is that true? It is true. Yochanan, John, writes in chapter 1, verse 16 of his besorah, of his, of his gospel, from the fullness of his grace, he says, we have received, we have all received, one blessing after another. It doesn't say from the fullness of his grace, a few of us have received one blessing after another, or uh, some of us, or most of us. It says from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. It just comes down to counting our blessings and looking for them. We cannot even begin to think of sharing with others until we first realize that we have something precious to share. We need to let go of our poverty mentality. According to these scriptures, all who are followers of Yeshua the Messiah are rich beyond measure. We are spiritual billionaires. Do we see this? Do we have this inside of us? When we have this revelation that we are rich beyond measure, then and only then are we able to embark on a lifestyle of sharing our blessings with others. Sharing is caring. And this brings us to my second point, which is the good news without good deeds is not good. Yeshua said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Yeshua said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good deeds, your mitzvahs, 
and praise your Father in heaven. One of the primary ways that we share our spiritual blessings with others is through sharing the Besora, the good news about Yeshua. But what is the Besora? It is a message of good news about the coming of the Messiah of Israel, the King of Israel, our Lord and our Rescuer. But even more important than verbalizing the good news, we are called to model the good news, to live out the good news, so that people are drawn to the God of Israel. That is why Yeshua said, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is especially the case in the Jewish world, where actions speak louder than words. For centuries, our people have heard Christians talk about Jesus, but they have not seen many Christians live like Jesus. And this makes all the difference in the world. We need to live out the Besora. Then and only then will our people take notice of the one who endured the Roman execution stake beneath a sign that read Melech HaYehudim, King of the Jews. Yeshua said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The good news without good deeds is not good. The good news with good deeds is tov me'od, very good. And this brings us to my third point. If a donkey can speak, so can you. Many of us are hesitant to share about the Lord with others because we simply don't know what to say. Can anyone here relate to that? I know I do. In the Torah, we are told that God gave a donkey the supernatural ability to communicate what the donkey wanted to say. Boy, that must have been a happy donkey. That donkey must have for so long wanted to say all kinds of things. And now it had its opportunity. Numbers chapter 22, verse 28 says, Adonai enabled the donkey to speak, and it said to Balaam, If God gave a donkey the supernatural ability to speak, kol vachomer, how much more will he do the same for us in our moment of need? Yeshua told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 through 20, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So we don't need to be concerned about what to say. All we need to do is just be where God wants us to be. And then trust that the Lord will give us the words. And he will. I guarantee you, he will. When we dare to share the Besora in words, we are walking by faith and trusting that God will speak through us. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, pray also for me. This is uh, the, the Shaliach, the Apostle Paul, 
he, he also didn't know what to say. He wrote all these wonderful letters, but he didn't know what to say. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 19, Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the Besorah. And this brings us to my fourth point. The goal of outreach, the goal of kiruv, is to help people meet the living God. There are many people in this world who need to meet the living God. The last five verses of Exodus may be the most important section in the Torah. Almost a third of the Torah is devoted to only one year of Israel's history, our time at Sinai. And the climax of our time at Sinai is not when the Lord appears on the mountain, which is something we're, we're uh, moving towards celebrating on the day of Shavuot. But that is actually not the climax of our time, of our time um, in... Um, this is not the climax of, um, of our time at Sinai, but it is these five verses. When the Lord makes the Mishkan a portable Sinai, as one rabbi puts it. In other words, the climax of the Torah is not the Lord appearing on the mountain in the distance. The climax of the Torah is also not our entering the promised land. The climax of the Torah is the Lord entering the community of Israel and deciding to dwell among us. This is the climax of the ages, the Lord choosing to make his home among us and not leaving us. There is no greater event in human history until the birth of Yeshua, the Messiah, the fullness of God in bodily form. Or to put it another way, God becoming a Jew so he could live among us and die for our sins. Sometimes I hear people speak about the presence of God in a way that suggests that if you cannot see or feel God's presence, that he is not there. I personally don't think this is correct. The Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God, dwells inside every person who follows Yeshua and calls on the name of the Lord. We may not always feel his presence, but his Ruach, his Spirit, is there inside of us. In the same way, we, not, we may not feel our heart inside of us unless we stop and listen to it beating, but it is definitely there. The presence of the Lord also dwells among us in a special way when we gather together as we are doing here today. This is one of the wonderful things about coming together weekly on Shabbat to our congregation. When we come together, the presence of God enters our lives in a, in a very special way. He's within us as we walk uh, and do what we do during the week. But isn't it wonderful when we come together on Shabbat 
that we can encounter the Lord in this special way. Yeshua said, when two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. The traditional Jewish bedtime prayer, which is an app on my iPhone, has this powerful prayer, which we can all pray. And this is how it goes. It's a wonderful, wonderful prayer. Let me sense your presence so clearly that the forces of death, darkness, and depression have no power over me. Now, this is a traditional Jewish prayer. This is not a Messianic Jewish app. This is a mainstream Jewish app. Uh, so I would like to teach this um, prayer to you. Um, so uh, please repeat after me. Let me sense your presence so clearly that the forces of death, darkness, and depression have no power over me. Boy, if we pray that prayer at night when we go to bed, we're going to have good dreams. <laughs> but truly, the Lord, the Lord um, hears that prayer. Let me sense your presence so clearly. The presence of God also sometimes comes in a more tangible way so that we can see and touch and hear Hashem. For example, in the Besarot, the Gospels, there are several references to a cloud that comes and surrounds the disciples of Yeshua. And out of this cloud, they hear a voice from heaven saying about Yeshua, about the Messiah. As we read in Mark chapter 9, verse 7, the, the voice from heaven says, Zebeni ahuvi elav tishma'un. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. This is what the voice said from the cloud. I'd like to tell you a, a wonderful story. I grew up, as, as uh, Rabbi Howard said, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. Both of my parents are Jewish. And until recently, I was not aware of anyone on my mother's side of the family who was a believer in Yeshua. Then, about, I, I think it was about four years ago, a relative on my mom's side contacted me and shared with me an amazing story. He told me, this is uh, my relative on my mom's side, he told me that he has been a believer, a, a Jewish believer in Yeshua for more than a decade. I asked him who shared with him about Yeshua, and he told me this, this story. He said one day he was resting on his bed with his eyes open, and suddenly a cloud appeared in the room. Out of the cloud, I know this is hard, you know, hard to believe, in fact, I don't even like the fact that he had this vision, but... <laughs> I, I wish I could edit it and revise it. But can you guess what came out of the cloud? Out of the cloud came crosses. Many crosses. Now, I just want to say, like in our Messianic synagogue, we do not have crosses because 
Um, uh, you know, in the same way that Richmond, Virginia is, is the, the formal, the capital of the Confederacy, as you know, and just in the same way as the Confederate flag is a kind of symbol of persecution for many African Americans and, and many others, um, for Jewish people, as many of us know, the cross is not just a, the loving symbol of, of God's mercy and grace as it is in the Christian world, but the cross is a symbol of persecution. So we don't have any crosses in our synagogue, and I don't think you have any crosses here. But this is, this is what happened to him. Out of the cloud came all these crosses. Yes, the Lord works in mysterious ways. The cloud stayed in his room, he said, for hours. And God spoke to him about Yeshua the Messiah from the cloud, which he could see with his eyes open. This is how my relative, just an ordinary Jew, became a believer in Yeshua. The Anan Adonai, the cloud of the Lord, physically appeared to him. So the Lord sometimes does reveal himself directly to people, as he did with my relative. But more often than than not, he sends us his malachim, his messengers, to lead people to God. The goal of outreach, the goal of kiruv, is to help people meet the living God. My father became a believer in Yeshua after our house was robbed. He dialed 911, and the policeman uh, who received the report, as he was driving um, to my father's house, the policeman claims that he heard God speak to him on the way to my father's house, and that the policeman heard, heard God tell him that when you get to this house, tell the person that you meet about me. So when the officer arrived at my father's house, my father um, brought him in, and um, then um, the policeman said to my father, Mr. Rudolph, I think you'd better sit down because I have something important to tell you. And the policeman proceeded to share with my father the Besorah, the good news about Yeshua. Now, as the policeman was doing this, my father, um, my father was a lawyer. Um, he was a secular uh, Jewish lawyer. And um, my father had also uh, gone to medical school for several years. And he thought... Um, that, and my father was a very compassionate, and still is, and even more so, a very compassionate person. And he thought the policeman had had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> uh, he thought that the policeman was in a worse situation than my father was. He had just gotten robbed, but this person had lost a screw. Um, so my father was listening to the policeman really out of just compassion. But as the policeman continued to share about Yeshua, my father says that something like a force field surrounded him. 
and he says that it was tactile. He could touch it. It was, it was uh, tangible. And um, he couldn't believe this was happening. And he began to thinking to himself, am I, am I hallucinating? Have I lost a screw? Uh, am I dreaming? You know, is this, is this real? And um, as he was processing all of this, the policeman left, never took the report. Um, many years later, I met this policeman. Um, and this force field stayed um, in, in the room surrounding my father um, for over an hour, and then eventually it left. And when it left, my father uh, fell on the floor and cried out to God and said, God, I am so sorry that I have not believed in you all these years. Now, my father went to synagogue, you know, several times a year, but he was more agnostic about God. He didn't, he didn't really know. And he said, uh, I be- I, now I know that you exist, but why did you send a Christian to tell me this? Is Jesus, because he didn't say Yeshua, is Jesus who the Christians say he is? That's the question my father asked God. And my father didn't know the answer to that, but he knew he was going to get to the bottom of it. And, um, and over the next few months, he, he, um, he had a Hebrew Bible with an English translation. He got a New Testament, and he began reading, just reading through uh, the Tanakh. He began reading through the New Testament, the Brit Chadashah. And as he was reading, he just came to the conviction, all of this must be true. It, it just all, it all fits. It all makes sense. And, um, and the rest is history. Um, and through this experience, my father became a believer in Yeshua. And through him, through him, uh, I became a believer in Yeshua. Um, and, and as a result of, um, and just very quickly, you know, you might find this interesting, but my father first went to a church near, near his uh, house. I think it was just probably the closest church. When the pastor met my father and found out that my father was Jewish, he said to my father, you know, Mr. Rudolph, um, we don't do uh, bar mitzvahs here. We don't have Hebrew school. We don't do Jewish weddings. Um, I'm really concerned that if you stay here in this church, in my church, if I welcome you into my church, that you're going to lose your Jewish identity. And the pastor said, I, there's, the, there's a group nearby, they call themselves a Messianic Jewish synagogue. And I, I think you should go visit there because I think God wants you to continue to live as a Jew but a Jew who believes in Yeshua. This was 1975. So my father went to um, Beth Messiah. This was another Beth Messiah in um, Rockville, Maryland. And um, the service was, um, it was, he, he didn't like it because it was, um, it was um, almost entirely in Hebrew. 
it was a Friday night service, almost entirely in Hebrew, and it reminded him of the, his, his, he grew up with his grandparents taking him to an Orthodox synagogue, and it reminded him of the Orthodox synagogue. And it's not that the Orthodox synagogue was bad or anything, but he just, he didn't encounter God in the same way in the Orthodox synagogue that he had recently encountered God. Now, personally, I think that many people can encounter God in the Orthodox synagogue, but that's not how he encountered God. And that's not how he met Yeshua. So he went back to the church. And then when the pastor saw him again, he said, he said, um, what happened? Why are you back? And my father explained, and then the pastor said, you know, Mr. Rudolph, I just, in my conscience, I, I do not feel that God wants you to lose your Jew, Jewish identity, and I think you need to give this a second chance. So he sent my dad back to the Messianic synagogue. Now, it wasn't that he didn't care for my father. It's because he cared for my father that he sent him there. And then for whatever reason, the second time my father felt this was home. This is where God wanted him to be. And that's where, um, and that's when he brought me to the Messianic synagogue and my brother. So the Lord, the point of all this is that the Lord sent that policeman, that the Lord sent that policeman to my father. He was an ambassador. He was a messenger. And because of the faithfulness of that one man, many other people through my father have encountered the living God. That is the goal of Kiruv, outreach, for people to meet the living God. Are we available to the Lord? Are we willing to be sent? Are we willing to be a little embarrassed, like that policeman must have been? Let us remember the voice that came from the Anan Adonai, the, the cloud of the Lord, that said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And this brings us to my fifth point. Look for divine appointments. Several years ago, I made a trip to England to defend my dissertation. I remember sitting in the student lounge at the Cambridge University Divinity Faculty and waiting for the examiners to arrive. It was, it was probably the most nervous moment of my life. I was sitting at the table, very nervous and trying to concentrate on preparing for my defense. My, the my thesis focused on a key New Testament text that related to outreach, that related to Paul reaching out to the Jewish world and the non-Jewish world. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 through 23, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Messiah's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. 
And in my dissertation, I argued that Pauline scholars overstate their case when they maintain that Paul did not consider himself a Torah-observant Jew any longer, based on 1 Corinthians 9. It's common in, in scholarship to think that based on that text, that Paul was kind of a chameleon, that he was just, uh, when he goes to one place, he looks like a Jew. Then he goes to another place, and he takes off his Jewish veneer, and now he looks like a non-Jew. He goes to another place, and he's constantly switching like that, without any kind of core ethical convictions about his identity as a Jew. But what I was arguing was that 1 Corinthians 9 can be read in a way that is consistent with a Paul who remained faithful to his Jewish identity. And uh, a lot of work had been done on that passage in light of the Greco-Roman background, but very little work on this passage had been done in light of the Second Temple Jewish background. So I was asking questions like, well, how, how much flexibility could a first century Jewish person have in terms of when they meet with uh, Jews and with non-Jews? How, how flexible could they be? Well, as I was sitting in the lounge at Cambridge University and, and preparing to defend my dissertation, remember, this, this whole dissertation has to do with a Jewish believer in Yeshua, Paul and his Jewish identity. Two, while I'm sitting there, two young women walked into the room and sat down. No one else was there in the room. And um, one of these young women began saying to the other, this is, what, this is what they said, this is what she said, my parents are Jewish and they were so upset with me because I believe in Jesus. The other said, it was the same with me. We have to stay strong. We need to hold on to our faith in Jesus and not let go of our identity as Jews. This is what they were saying. Now, of course, they didn't say Yeshua because they, they were not part of a Messianic Jewish congregation. They had recently become followers of Yeshua, but they were both Jewish girls at Cambridge University. I couldn't help but overhear their conversation since they were only about 10 feet away. So I, I said, excuse me, but are you Messianic Jews? And both of them said, well, we're both Jewish, and we recently became believers in Jesus. And I said to them, I can't believe this. During my five years of studying here at Cambridge University, I didn't meet a single student who identified as a Messianic Jew or as a Jewish believer in Yeshua until today. And then you two appeared. Also, you were talking about the very subject of my thesis, that Jewish believers in Yeshua should continue to identify and live as Jews. And I knew at that moment that it was a divine appointment. The Lord had sent these two Messianic Jews into my life to encourage me in the minutes before my defense. And because of their presence, I kind of wondered if they were angels or not, because <laughs> I was like, uh, can you give me your email address? And, and when they gave me the email, their email addresses, then I knew they were not angels. Because I, just, I couldn't believe angels had email addresses. So. Because of their presence, I went from being nervous to being excited 
that the Lord had orchestrated everything. He was there. He had planned this day. Everything would be okay. Divine appointments are fundamental to outreach, to to Kiruv. In John chapter 4, verses 3 through 9, we read about a divine appointment that Yeshua had with a woman from Samaria. The text states, Yeshua left Judea and set out again for Galilee. This meant that he had to pass through Samaria. So Yeshua came to a town in Samaria called Shechem, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Yeshua, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Yeshua said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. How does John describe Yeshua's journey to Samaria? He writes, Yeshua left Judea and set out again for Galilee. This meant that he had to pass through Samaria. The way John puts it, Samaria was just a stop on the way to Galilee. In other words, Yeshua was just passing through. That was not his destination. From John's perspective, it was just traveling time, and they would minister to the people when they arrived in Galilee. But Yeshua didn't look at it that way. From his perspective, all time was Kiruv time outreach time. When he met the Samaritan woman, he knew it was a divine appointment. That's why he spoke with her, even though she was a Samaritan. And Yeshua used the opportunity to reveal his identity to her. In John chapter 4, verses 25 through 26, we are told, the woman replied, I know that Mashiach is coming, that is, the one who has been anointed. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Yeshua said to her, and by the way, Yeshua didn't reveal himself to many people in such a direct way. Yeshua said to her, I, the person speaking to you, am he. Yeshua was passing through Samaria, but stopped to talk with this woman, because he sensed that it was a divine appointment from his Father in heaven. Let us be like Yeshua and view all of our time as Kiruv time. Let us stop to talk when we sense the Lord has put someone in our path. The Lord brings people into our lives every day. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 9 says, A person may plan his path but Adonai determines his steps. Kiruv, or outreach, is all about divine appointments. It is believing that as we follow the Lord, he will guide our steps so that in God's perfect timing, 
we will meet those people we are supposed to share the good news with, like the Samaritan woman, or just people we're supposed to bless and give that which God has given to us. Remember, sharing is caring. I remember one day in England going to the printer to pick up three bound copies of my doctoral dissertation. So my defense was over, um, it was passed, now it was just getting copies of the dissertation. It was very exciting. I arrived at the printer, paid for the copies, then I called a taxi to take me to the Board of Graduate Studies um, at Cambridge. The cab arrived. When I got in, the driver said, where are you going? I said, the Board of Graduate Studies office, please. Then after a pause, he said, where are you from? I said, the United States, because I was so excited. You know, I wasn't like really phased by his comments. Then he said, no, I mean, where are you really from? <laughs> I said, you mean in terms of background, like, like my like, ethnic background? He said, yes, where are your people from? Now, I thought for a moment about whether I really wanted to share with this cab driver, who didn't sound very friendly, <laughs> that I was a Jew. Um, so, with just a smidge of hesitation, I said, well, my grandparents are Jews from Poland and Russia, so I guess you could say that my people come from the land of Israel, all the long ways back. Then the taxi driver said, I am from Palestine. <laughs> That's what he said, I am from Palestine. At that point, I thought that I might want to jump out of the taxi. <laughs> he then said, why are you going to the Board of Graduate Studies? So I said to him, I'm a PhD student at the university, and I'm finally done after five years of studies. I just have to submit my dissertation to the Board of Graduate Studies. Then." He slammed on the brakes, slowly turned his head around, looked me in the eye. Then his face lit up with a big smile and he said, congratulations. <laughs> At that moment, I knew the Lord had arranged that meeting. It was a divine appointment from Hashem. We spent the rest of the time talking about his family, how they came to England, the situation in the Middle East. And when we arrived at the Board of Graduate Studies, he parked the car. We talked for a good 10 minutes more, and then I prayed for him. There is no question in my mind that this Palestinian cab driver will not forget me, even as I have not forgotten him. There was a special connection between us that day. When I entered the taxi, a divine appointment was waiting for me. We need to be more aware that divine appointments are waiting for us all the time, perhaps even later today, perhaps even in a taxi. 
Every morning we should wake up and pray, Lord, guide my steps that I would see the divine appointments you have planned for me today. If we pray this prayer, we will notice on a regular basis those people whom the Lord places in our path. Which brings us to my last point. Look at the fields. What fields am I referring to in particular? I'm referring to the Jewish Gentile intermarried community. Intermarriage is not a new phenomenon in Jewish history. It goes all the way back to the time of the patriarchs. In Genesis, we are told about Jacob's sons. Did you know that three of Jacob's sons, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, intermarried? Judah and Simeon both married Canaanite women. And Joseph married an Egyptian woman named Asenath, who was the daughter of the priest of On. Joseph and Asenath had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Lord commanded that the future generations of Israel say a blessing in the name of these children of intermarriage. We are told in Genesis chapter 38, uh, Genesis 48, verse 20, to say, Yesimech Elohim ke'ephraim v'chim May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Every Friday night, Jewish parents around the world bless their sons at their Shabbat tables in the names of these children of intermarriage. It is very significant that these tribal leaders passed down the covenant to their children and their children's children. They are an example of how intermarrieds and the children of intermarriage can be committed to Jewish continuity and can make a vital contribution to Jewish history. By contrast, the Samaritan woman that Yeshua met on the way to Galilee was a descendant of Jewish Gentile intermarrieds who did not pass down the covenant to their children. When Yeshua entered into conversation with the Samaritan woman, she was drawing from the well of her father, Jacob. She says to, to Yeshua in John chapter 4, verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? The woman was a Samaritan. One of her ancestors was Jacob, but she did not identify as a Jew because Jewish covenantal identity had not been passed down to her. Her forefathers were Jews who intermarried with the Syrians and other Gentiles who settled in the land of Israel. When Yeshua said in John chapter 4, verse 35, "'Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest.'" He was pointing to this intermarried people group. They were ripe for harvest. They were ready to hear Yeshua's words and enter into the Malchut Hashem, the kingdom of God. Yeshua was pointing to this intermarried community of his day. May I suggest to you today that we also need to open our eyes and look at the fields and realize that the harvest is ripe in the intermarried community. 
consider that the vast majority of Messianic Jews in our congregations are either intermarried or the children of intermarriage. The reality is that in the United States today, intermarried Jews and the, ch and the children of intermarriage are very, um, uh, and the children of intermarriage are very open to Messianic Judaism and the story of Yeshua that we share. How large is the intermarried community? There are presently over two million people in North America who are in Jewish Gentile intermarriages. One out of every two American Jew intermarries. By the year 2050, the children of Jewish Gentile marriage will comprise the majority of the American Jewish community. Let us remember the intermarrieds. Let us open our eyes and see how we, as a Messianic Jewish community, can serve this important community in the name of Yeshua. I want to encourage all of us here to share the Besorah, the good news, with people around you, and to do this with gentleness and respect, as the Lord has commanded us. Today, I have challenged all of us to dare to share, and I had six points. The first is, sharing is caring. The good news without good deeds is not. Third, if a donkey can speak, so can you. The, and fourth, the goal of outreach is to help people meet the living God. The fifth was look for divine appointments. And finally, the sixth point was look at the fields. Let's pray. Avinu Sheba Shemayim, our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for giving us your scriptures so that we can grow in our walk with you. We thank you that you have made us rich beyond measure with the blessings that you've poured out into each of our lives. There's not a single person here who is not, who is not full of blessings from you, O oh God. Many times we don't see the blessings because we, we take our eyes off of them and look at other things or look at other people's blessings. But Lord, you, you have filled each of our lives with blessings. Show us, O oh God, how we can share those blessings with others. Show us, O oh Lord, how we can do mitzvahs for you, how we can be your servants and, and shine your light in this world. May today be a good day for all of us, Lord, in, in uh, growing in this area. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach Adonai. Amen.